Hello, and welcome to the Objective Health Show. My name is Erica, and I'll be your host today. And joining me in the studio is Doug, Tiffany, and Damien behind the scenes. Hello. Hello. So today we're going to talk about children's health. The precariousness of times that we live in and some of the news stories that are coming out about children in the last couple of months amongst this pandemic, epidemic scenario that we're all living through daily. So we have a few articles. It's not covering every single topic, but just some jumping off points. So the first article, <coughs> excuse me, is Mexico State bans sale of sugary drinks and junk food to children. And this was published in August, uh, beginning of the month, and it was on MSN. And basically, this article um, talks about how the Mexican state of Oaxaca has banned the sale of sugary drinks and high calorie snack foods to children, a measure that is aimed at curbing obesity, um, which is, you know, a good thing for sure. How that will be enforced is another thing we'll see. Mm -hmm. But the fact that MSN is actually carrying this and linking sugary drinks and high calorie snack foods to obesity is huge. Got some doggies in the background there. Yeah, no, it's, th this is kind of, it's interesting because the, um, one of the, the guys, you know, official of some kind uh, is quoted in the article is talking about how, what kind of spurred this on was the fact that the coronavirus has been found to be more damaging to people or maybe only damaging at all to people who actually have existing uh, symptoms, existing syndromes, um, people who are already sick, essentially. And talking about how obesity is actually a preventable one. I mean, we talked about this on the show before, how they were saying that the COVID is actually hitting obese people um, and people with you know diabetes, type 2 diabetes, those sorts of things. Uh, much more hard than it hits the average person. And like we've talked about on the show, it basically does barely anything to the average person. Um, whereas people who have these conditions are actually affected by it in a negative manner. So I, it's, it's, maybe this could be looked at as the one positive thing that has come out of this entire corona debacle. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. Well, but, apparently... Um the soda industry yeah. is able to get to places where you wouldn't think they would. Like the, it says in the article that it goes into the most remote corners of the state known for its mountainous topography, where there's often not even medicines, but then you have Coca-Cola being sold there. So it sounds like it's kind of like a has its tentacles way out in the farthest reaches, farthest reaches of the country where you wouldn't think that it would be. <laughs> yeah, totally. And of course they're pushing back against the whole thing too, saying, mm -hmm. oh, you know, soft drinks aren't, uh, they can be part of a healthy, you know, it's like we talked about on the show before too, that they always, they love the whole calorie thing, the whole mm -hmm. uh, calorie myth because they can, 
then say that, well, it can be part of a healthy diet. As long as you're eating vegetables and uh, healthy foods for the rest of the time, you can have, you know, a couple of Cokes a day and it only contributes this many calories and blah, blah, blah. So they can reduce everything down to an addition subtraction kind of game and say that, well, you know, it doesn't matter what the food is. It only matters what the, the calories are. But that obviously is And as, is as long nonsense. as you're getting your exercise, it'll be okay. Just yeah. take it in moderation. Yep. Everything yep. in moderation. Yeah. But I mean, there's no secret that Mexico is a very fat country. I mean, they're not the, the highest. Um, I think the U.S. tops the list still. And mm -hmm. the U.K. is probably a close second. But, um, you know, they, ha they have a problem with this. And, you know, I think that this is certainly a move in the right direction. And again, you know, I always get pissed off when I see these nanny state kind of uh, interventions because that yeah. kind of thing, you know, you're, you're messing with my freedom. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, they're not telling you you can't, uh, you know, hurt yourself if you're an adult and you want to hurt yourself, then okay, go ahead. But for the kids, it's kind of like, yeah, you know, this, it is irresponsible to feed these kids terrible food because they don't have a choice in the matter. And of course, mm -hmm. you know, their, their preferences are going to be for the sugary, terrible foods because they taste better and are addictive and all that sort of thing. So I can see that it's like, you know what, we have to get these kids who don't have control over their lives at this point. We have to give them a fair start. You know, we have to get them to the point where they are uh, at least healthy in their youth and then they can decide for themselves to destroy their, their health after the fact. Not much different than like, you know, age limits on alcohol. Uh, you know, there's lots of examples. So yeah. it's, it's, you know, I, I do kind of see this as a, a positive thing. I do too. And I think it's interesting how the coronavirus czar, Hugo lopez Gatel branded soft drink bottled poison. I'd say that's pretty much an accurate statement and how the, the, the Mexico's drinks industry um, accused him of satanizing a strategic economic activity and a product that is the preference of millions of Mexicans. Like what? <laughs> <laughs> satanizing it. Yeah. <laughs> They're coming for your sodas. Yeah. No, I mean, and, and, you know, we've talked in length in the past about how children are so easily um, mesmerized and brainwashing into brand recognition. Mm -hmm. And so you could see how uh, the soda industry doesn't want to give up that, you know, section of their uh, brand recognizing youth that will go into adulthood um, continuing to consume their their poison bottled poison and you know the thing that t i think it was you tiff that mentioned about how soda is available but water isn't really that available you know what i mean and uh i think i had seen a documentary at some point saying how in lieu of water, not just the children, but the adults as well are drinking soda because it's easier to get. It's tasty. It's cheap. Mm -hmm. And the water is oftentimes like kind of dirty, harder to get. Uh, a lot of people don't have running water. So I can understand like why people would turn to soda in some instances, but I wonder how this is going to be enforced. 
are carried out because if there's no viable alternative to people drinking soda, they're going to drink soda. Exactly. Yeah. Well, I think what they're probably going to do, I think, is uh, age restrictions on buying it. So kids can't walk into a store and buy a Coke. Now, mind you, if their parents buy do the grocery shopping and buy the Coke and give it to their kids, I mean, there's probably not much you could do about that. Um, I think that's probably goes... the main way they get it anyway. Yeah, for sure it is. Yeah. But at the same time, you know, it could be a positive thing in the sense that it might make adults actually think twice about this stuff, mm-hmm. whether consuming it themselves or feeding it to their kids. Yeah. So, I mean, there's a possibility that by introducing this stigma, if there isn't one already, I mean, it's hard, right? Because on the one hand, it's kind of like, from my own perspective, it's like, I, I knew since I was a little kid that this stuff wasn't good for you, right? My parents wouldn't let me drink it very often. Um, you know, it was kind of a special treat or something like that. But it's like, we were not a household that had soda in the fridge all the time. Right. And... But I also know that a lot of my friends, that wasn't their situation. So I'd always go over to their house and house soda. But, um, <laughs> but no, but seriously, like it, it and, and when you're talking about like a different culture, I have no idea what it's like in Oaxaca, right? I don't know if it is common knowledge that this stuff is going to rot your teeth and make you sick and all make you fat. I mean, maybe it might just be that they don't really know that. It's just, mm-hmm. it's just there. So um, maybe by introducing this, it's kind of like it'll it'll provide some light bulb moments for some people. Especially now that people seem to be all of a sudden so much more concerned with their health than they were, say, uh, a year or two ago. Mm. <laughs> you know what I mean? Because we we live in that new health paradigm where all of a sudden this all matters. You know what I mean? So I I think you might be right. I mean. One last thing in that article, it talks about how Mexicans drink 163 liters of soft drinks uh, a year per head, the most in the world. And then um, a survey by a consumer advocacy group uh, found that 70% of school children in the poor region of Guerrero State the Guerrero state reported having soda for breakfast. Mm -hmm. I mean, that is like, think about a way to start your day, you know, um, hopped up on sugar and essentially rotting your teeth and your innards as well, you know, and you've, you've started off, started off an addiction at a young age that I know from raising teenagers who had a soda addiction, like you, Doug, I never let my kids drink soda when they were little, but once they had a car and they're free to do their own thing, they got addicted to Dr. Pepper. And, you know, people laugh like, oh, that's not a real thing. And it was a real thing. I mean, they were struggling with not buying it. And, you know, I was like, well, let's make our own soda drinks. We'll just have soda water and grape juice or something. And they were like, oh, no. You know? So, so people, I think, don't realize like any other addiction, it's, it takes commitment on the part of the family to support an environment where you're not going to bring those things into the house and you're going to make that change. And then you go out and every social, you know, it's always everywhere where you go. So it's. Mm -hmm. With free refills, no less. (laughs) Free refills. Yeah. 
Well, I think most of all, the it should start with the parents. And I don't know how the Mexican advertising industry works. Like if there are loads of advertisements for soft drinks on Mexican TV, but I think that that is a good place to start mm. because when you're watching TV and you're bombarded with all these commercials for food or whatever, soft drinks or alcoholic drinks, it makes you want to go out and get those things. Even if you're not actually thinking of the commercial in your head when you're at the grocery store, picking out what you're going to buy, it it's does have your an brain. influence. So, yeah. So yeah. you really want to, you know, maybe have a, a double approach to this is to cut back on the, or get rid of the advertising and also uh, limit the sales. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So on that note, we have another article that was uh, beginning of July from the New Zealand Herald, and it's white flour products and rice rot teeth, New Zealand's largest child study reveals. And along the same line, again, it's interesting, um, you know, turns out refined starches such as white bread, rice, noodles, and some breakfast cereals can be just as damaging for children's health and teeth. Um, you know, and they go through how they, uh, the study was cross-referenced dental records, and uh, they found out about dental hygiene and food consumption. And um, lo and behold, what we've been saying for years, you know, refined carbs um, are causing an epidemic of dental issues. Yeah. And, you know, it's not that surprising no. that, um, you know, kind of back to the, our soda discussion, I'll, I'll never forget when I had braces as a teenager and uh, the orthodontist said, oh, you can eat all the sugar you want. You just don't drink soda because it will rot your teeth. And I was <laughs> like, well, that's interesting. You know what I mean? It basically just chews the enamel right off the teeth. And yeah, I mean, anybody who it's like you could kind of put the study into the well, duh category on the one hand, <laughs> because it's like Weston Price, um, anybody who has is familiar with uh Weston Price's work who was, you know, in the middle of the last century, basically was a dentist traveling around to different primitive cultures and comparing their diets to the diets of uh civilized civilized people. Um people who belong to the same uh gene pool but essentially had radically different diets because the civilized people I'm using these terms facetiously by the way, but the civilized people were eating all the processed food, all the crap, all the white flour, um, all the sugar, uh, refined this and that. And, you know, their teeth were horrible. And he saw within like one generation um, the degradation that happened to teeth, but also overall health. So, I mean, we've known this for a long time. I mean, he called these things the, um, um, what did he call it? The disease of civilization? Diseases of civilization. Yeah. Diseases yeah. of civilization. Like this kind of degeneration of the teeth and bones and facial formation. Like, you know, reading his, his book is actually very eye-opening to see the effect that these kind of processed foods have. So it's like, thanks for catching up, science. Like, that's great. <laughs> um, we've known this for a while, but again, maybe it's time to actually, you know, do something about this. And 
to read the article, you would think that, okay, well, all you have to do is just brush your teeth after you eat starchy, mm. sugary foods. But I think it's more than that because, Absolutely. like you said, Weston Price found that people's bones actually were affected. Mm -hmm. And you have to consider that when you're eating starchy, sugary foods, it takes a lot of minerals to process that stuff. So if you're using your minerals and digesting, those minerals are not going to your bones where they mm -hmm. need to be. And teeth are bones. So there you go. <laughs> yeah. No, exactly. I think I think that's the one of the biggest myths put out there by the dental industry, that it's all about brushing your teeth. I mean, some yeah. of these cultures, again, primitive culture, quote unquote, um, mm -hmm. they didn't have like a dental hygiene uh, regimen like we have or anything like that. They didn't have dentists, didn't have anything mm -hmm. like that. I mean, they probably like, you know, I think there were things where they would like chew on sticks or something like that because it would help, you know, clean the teeth in some way but it, it certainly wasn't mm -hmm. like brush your teeth after every meal or anything like that yeah, they certainly weren't flossing that's for sure yeah totally so it's it's like the 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 idea that your teeth like how healthy your teeth are is a hundred percent to do with how much you brush and has nothing to do with your diet because as long as you brush it doesn't matter what you ate is nonsense mm -hmm. it is you know it is is affecting your health at the deepest level and your teeth are just kind of an indicator that something is going wrong over the whole body. Mm -hmm. Exactly. Well, and it's interesting back to the Western price uh, information about like, you look at tribes like the Maasai in Africa and how perfectly straight and mm -hmm. white their teeth are, but how they're eating very traditional foods, you know, animal fats, tubers, roots, like, and you can see it in their smiles and their teeth, you know what I mean? And then you look at the teeth of like your average, you know, Western civilization and it's scary sometimes, you know? Yeah. Mm. yeah. Well, Western and how Price... much... Go on, Erica. Oh, I was just going to say how much like in America parents spend on, like I was saying earlier, orthodontics. How yeah, many yeah, yeah. kids have, you know, corrective teeth issues for a majority of their teenage life you know what i mean and now even into adulthood people mm -hmm. are getting invisalign or braces and you know what i mean so it's really the diet is imperative to healthy teeth i think yeah and weston price actually had a teeth correcting protocol I don't remember exactly what it was off the top of my head, but it was basically like getting, you know, first of all, getting rid of all those processed foods, but also um, taking uh, fat soluble vitamins in the form of like cod liver oil <clears throat> and uh, yeah, vitamin A, vitamin D, that sort of thing. And um, oh yeah, here's a picture of it actually, Damien found that where it's actually comparing, um, I guess on the left are kind of the traditional peoples who have these like perfect teeth, perfect smiles, totally straight. And then you see the people on the right who are eating all the processed garbage and they've got gaps in their mouth, crooked teeth. Like it even affects the actual jawline. Like you can see the, the people on the left have these like, you know, broad faces, like strong, broad faces. And people on the right are basically have the, these like skinny jaws. So it really, and, and you know, those kinds of things he was seeing within like one generation. And I think that children are the people on the left are actually Samoan and then, mm. you know, Samoa 
was made. There's like Western Samoa and um, with the introduction of things like rice and grains that that slowly deteriorated and you could see their teeth slowly start to deteriorate just in one generation Mm -hmm. with, with the introduction of these refined carbs, essentially. Yeah. So New Zealand caught up on that one. That's good. (laughs) Next in our preview, this is actually, I think some good news. Um, Let me find the, uh, the article, Russian government recommended banning Wi-Fi and cell phones in primary schools. And this was carried by Children's Health Defense um, in July 2020. And basically, they're talking about how the uh, on July 17th, the Russian Ministry of Health published recommendations to schools to ban the use of Wi-Fi and cell phones in elementary schools. Um, numerous studies have found the adverse effects from Wi-Fi and Professor Martin Paul's 2018 meta-analysis paper, Wi-Fi is an important threat to human health, references studies showing how Wi-Fi causes oxidative stress, sperm and testicular damage, neuropsychiatric effects, including EEG changes and apoptosis or cell death, cellular DNA damages, endocrine changes, and calcium overload. Considering the evidence of harm, scientists and medical associations have called to ban the use of Wi-Fi in schools and wired networks. Yeah. Great move. I think that's really great. I mean, we've again done multiple shows on this uh, particularly if anybody wants to check out the uh two different interviews we did with scott ogren uh from scotty's tech.info he's really done a deep dive on the research on wi-fi 5g um all the wireless kind of technologies and stuff and goes into a lot of details about what's actually going on there but one thing in particular is that children are much more vulnerable to these electromagnetic waves than adults are, um, especially with like you know cell phones. When you're holding it up to your head, they have thinner skulls, so they just have less protection. But um, the fact that they're putting this wireless technology into schools, where kids are spending like eight hours a day there, and they're just mm-hmm. getting beamed. I mean, of course, once the kids are home, they might have Wi-Fi at home, so they're getting beamed there too. But I think that this kind of you know a school, it's the right decision to uh, mm-hmm. not expose these kids to these signals, I think. Most definitely. And it's interesting that Russia did it because, you know, there's been places like the UK, I know, was trying to ban it and even places in the US, but it seems like it's almost impossible, especially now that we're moving into this whole radical re branding, renaming, redoing of education that's going to be happening around the world, not just in the U.S. I mean, the fact that children are now moving digitally online to do school, at least here in the States, I'm not sure how it is in France uh, for you folks, but here because of this COVID-1984 and the pandemic and, you know, uh, back in March, they were saying children 
weren't even carriers and couldn't spread the disease. Now, all of a sudden, schools are closing and children are moving online and they're all being given a device to use, which is most likely an iPad or a tablet, which doesn't even have the ability to run off of a corded cable. Mm -hmm. It's all Wi-Fi. So I, I applaud Russia for actually taking the radical steps to do this because it seems like the U.S. is going exactly in the opposite direction. Mm. Yeah, well, in Maryland, I guess in 2016, they tried to uh, get the local school districts that just reduce the exposure of kids to wireless devices, and nobody did anything at all about mm. it. But in Israel, um, they actually banned the use of Wi-Fi in kindergartens and limited the use in elementary school. And they're only allowed to use three hours a week in the first and second grade and six hours a week for the third grade. And all the other times outside of those allotted hours, the Wi-Fi has to be turned off. And mm. Cyprus, they banned the Wi-Fi in kindergarten. Yeah. And they stopped, I guess they were going to install Wi-Fi in elementary schools and they stopped that from happening. So there are uh, some places where apparently they have common sense. Mm. <laughs> They're going to try and get rid of this stuff. At least, I mean, it might make a dent like kids spend or they did spend before the whole pandemic a lot of time in school and they're just getting beamed like you said all day long for what six to eight hours while kids are in school so that could at least reduce their exposure but then we have the whole 5g coming out and <laughs> everybody's gonna be getting beamed yeah. whether you have wi-fi or not but this is a step in the right direction at least yeah i mean at least there's some resistance and some some of the people on top are actually listening and mm. taking the right steps. And I would imagine as parents with children, it's like a, a, a tsunami moving against you. As you know, you, you read these things, you see, you know, all those ill effects that I listed earlier, you know, um, neurological issues, sperm and technology testicular damage. I mean, aptosis, like you, you see parents doing the research and then they have absolutely no say mm -hmm. in what's happening. I mean, in the, the end of this article, it talked about despite massive evidence of harm in December, 2019, the FCC published a decision that there is no evidence of harm from wireless technology and decided that a review of its health guide lines would not be required so they just say well we've decided and too bad for you you know move mm -hmm. to russia i don't know <laughs> <laughs> yeah what happened to following the science like with this whole COVID thing everybody's like oh we have to follow the science mm -hmm. well i guess they're pretty selective on which science they follow obviously yeah, of course. yeah. <laughs> yeah that's exactly it it's like that's just that's just a, a, a propaganda, essentially. Mm -hmm. it's, it's like, mm -hmm. you know, follow the science is, is, is a, a, a propaganda term. It doesn't mean anything. Mm -hmm. They're not actually following wh where the science is going. They're using that phrase to uh, put forward their own agenda. Yeah. Follow the science as long as it fits your agenda. Yeah. Follow my science. <laughs> yeah. 
And if your science happens to say that Wi-Fi and cell phones may be bad for your health, then you're a conspiracy theorist. Exactly. You're not following the science. <laughs> it's more like follow the, 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 the narrative closely. Yeah. Or thou shalt not be able to speak freely. Mm. <laughs> All right. Well, kind of on that digital realm, this one was a kicker for sure. FDA approves first ever prescription video game for kids with ADHD. And that's from The Verge, uh, middle of June. Uh, you know, I got to say, I was disgusted, so disgusted by this. <laughs> but I've never been a proponent of video games, period, at all in any sort of way. So I struggled through the article. But apparently, it's the first video game that can legally be marketed and prescribed as medicine in the U.S. This is just hmm. insane. Uh, let have, have a prescription to play it. <laughs> That's the landmark decision from the FDA. Oh, yeah, the Food and Death Administration. And it's authorizing doctors to prescribe the iPhone and iPad game for kids between the ages of 8 and 12 with ADD, ADHD, excuse me, attention deficit and hyperactivity disorder. It underwent seven years of clinical trials, studied over 600 children. That's not that many. And uh, they, they, they'd find out whether the game actually made a difference. So this is the interesting part. According to the company's favorite of the five studies. <laughs> the answer is yes. One third of kids treated no longer had measurable attention deficit on at least one measure of objective attention. Yeah, I mean, you, you read this and you're like, are, are you serious? Are you guys really saying this? So your organization probably did the study and came out with one thing. I don't know. It just sounded like um, more of the same, you know, get yeah. ready for... Um, that you know technological future that's so we're all going you'll need a oh did we lose Is erica she gone? Yeah. she's frozen in Sorry, space oh there you go we lost you for a second there erica oh, okay good i was just getting annoyed <laughs> well, it seems like they would have been a little bit more specific they said no longer had a measurable attention deficit on at least one measure of objective attention. What does that mean? Well, they could have at least told us what the measures are. So I had to go mm. looking for it. So apparently there's this test called TOVA, T-O-V-A is the acronym, Test of Variables of Attention. Mm. And there's eight, about eight. No, it looks about, yeah. I'm looking at Wikipedia here. And apparently it's this <laughs> kind of... Um, this computerized test where they test response time, uh, how fast or slow information is processed, how fast performance will drop, they measure impulsivity, inattention, uh, how many times they press a button repeatedly. So this is what they mean by that, I suppose, when they say that these are one of the measures of objective attention. Mm. But it kind of sounds like they're using a computer 
test to measure how kids play a computer game. It seems like they would do like real world, like in the classroom kind of comparisons. Like Erica, you were a teacher and I worked in schools for a little bit and it doesn't seem that kids with ADHD and trouble concentrating in the classroom, it's not like they had a hard time sitting at home playing video games like that was their jam for the most part yeah but uh i don't i don't understand how that would do much in the way of getting these kids to pay more attention it's the boring classrooms and sitting there that is the problem that they're trying to teach not how well they've well pay attention to a video game i I don't don't disagree with anything that you guys have said but I'll maybe play <laughs> devil's advocate a little bit here. Um, yeah. I don't think – I personally, my view on video games is that, yes, in general, they are more or less damaging, ruining kids' attention, all those kinds of things. But I don't think that they have to. And mm-hmm. I do think that there is maybe some potential. Like, I mean, it is kind of a, a, a very strong tool that could be utilized kind of in the right way. Like, I know – when I used to play video games when I was younger, I certainly came across some video games that were at the very least making me use my brain in ways that I didn't normally use them, use it, Mm -hmm. you know, thinking about things spatially and stuff or, you know, figuring out puzzles or something like that. Like it really was, um, certain games were certain, like were exercising my brain in a way that I wasn't used to using it and i think that there is potential for video games to do that kind of thing to be a learning tool to kind of really stretch the bounds of what you're able to kind of think about Mm -hmm. um i don't think that the vast majority of video games are actually doing that though there might be some small improvements in spatial organization or some or spatial intelligence or something like that but overall i'd say that they are like i said ruining attention and you know they're incredibly violent and all these kinds of things so i think that there's probably like a lot more negatives than there are positives but i do think that they could be done it could be done right and yeah. i do think that maybe these researchers are at least trying to go in the right direction anyway well if if you use it in a kind of you're taking a kind of a neurofeedback mm. kind of angle to it sure maybe this video game is doing that i tried to look up the exact study that they were referencing when they were talking about this new game and the site was down they were doing maintenance or something mm. but um maybe if it's kind of like neural feedback which maybe it is um they're dodging obstacles and collecting targets or something you're only supposed to use it 25 minutes a day five <laughs> days a week for four weeks and if you're allowed to complete five missions and after your five missions the game stops and you can't play again until the following day mm. and apparently according to these uh, the researchers they said that half of the parents saw a clinically meaningful change in their child's day-to-day impairments hmm. which i think it would have been nice if they gave some examples but they did not hmm. um yeah but like any uh prescription medication it has side effects <laughs> <laughs> so i read this the, the side effects were uh where did I put it? Oh, frustration, headache, dizziness, 
emotional reactions, nausea, and aggression. Hmm. So the frustration and the emotional reactions and aggression are exactly the kind of things that you would not want to see in an ADHD kid, but right. the game side effects actually cause that. But yeah. it, like any medication, it's true to its promise. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I agree with you, Doug. Like, I think with all things, there is a benefit and a purpose. And mm. having worked with kids, like, you know, before the technological age that we live in now, but, you know, we did use a lot of um, educational games in the classroom, mm-hmm. um, you know, s- stuff where they had to go through mazes and figure out problems. I think all of those are, like you said, it's kind of one of many things that you have in a toolkit when Mm -hmm. you're working with children, especially children with attention deficit and hyperactivity disorders. What is concerning to me is the complete lack of what Jordan Peterson would call rough and tumble play or Mm. the fact like what I see and probably this is just more kind of in the air that we're living in right now is I see all of these things going online. Like children are no longer going to be children in the sense where they go outside, they play with each other, they get dirty, they, you know, get into fights, they have to deal with bullying. Like everything's going to turn into this, virtual reality. And that's what concerns me because I'm already seeing just in, you know, let's just say eight to 12 year old boys as an example, like the ability to make eye contact, the ability to carry on conversations with adults, like all those things are starting to diminish. Whereas like when we were all kids, we didn't have all of this electronic interference in our development as we were growing up. You know what I mean? And to think that a video game is going to help a child develop being able to be calm and cool and collected, I think it's reaching. Yeah, I think. yeah you learn that from human beings, not yeah. video yeah. games. Yeah, no, I wasn't trying to suggest that. I don't think there's oh, any Oh, no, but I, I think I mean, there's a place a, for it. There yeah. is. It could be a nice uh, adjunct to yeah. you know, actual real-world interaction. But as Mm -hmm. far as making it the primary means of doing such things, you know. It might be that the 25 minutes a day was actually what was improving things, not the video game itself. Like the fact that Mm -hmm. it forced it to shut down at a certain time. It's kind of like that. Maybe that teaches them some skills about delayed Mm -hmm. gratification and that sort of thing. Mm -hmm. But yeah, no, I agree. Like video games aren't a replacement for anything. Like, you know, but it it could help with some education, but yeah. And we've done so much on in the past about ADHD and the, 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 you know, drugging of children. And Mm -hmm. what I found interesting in this article was that they said, um, Back in 2017, we explored how prescription video games may be the future of medicine. And it really made my mind go to a pretty dark place because hmm, if that's going to be the prescription for children, what kind of prescription are we getting as adults? What, you know what I mean? Like, how can we reprogram you mm. <laughs> yeah. to yeah. support the narrative that this brave new world that we're quickly sliding into is is going to be the best thing virtual virtual reality is how you can you know change 
your life, your brain, yeah. you know? What are they going to program into the video games of the future? Like yeah. re-education camps where you're forced to play video games so you can learn how to, you know, think that men are women or <laughs> women are men. <laughs> Or any of it to just to completely accept, like right now, as I was saying earlier, this, the whole ch change of, of the system of educating children and Tiffany and I were talking about this before the show, like, you know, okay, so 10 years ago, it was terrible to homeschool your children and homeschoolers were crazy and crackpots and this, that, and the other thing. And now all of a sudden in the US, it's totally okay to homeschool your children. You know, mm -hmm. just get them on that pad and get them on that device and get them entrenched young, you know what I mean? To support the possibility that people just may ne never leave their little pods. They may be socially isolated and safe from the outside world. Like I... I, I'm trying to be the optimist, but I'm not feeling very optimistic about all this. Well, one of, I think the major thing about the whole anti-homeschooling thing was not so much that they weren't in school. Like they always use that argument, like they're missing out on important social interactions. But I think as long as they are tethered into the mainstream and the mainstream educational system and learning what the state wants you to learn, that's okay. But if you have your own curriculum mm -hmm. and you're teaching them things that they would not learn in a state school, that was the problem. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I think that's true. Yeah. It's, it's going to be interesting. The uh, next, well, tomorrow, tomorrow will be interesting. <laughs> <laughs> Pretty much. It's already here. Because um, I, I, because I was a teacher and I did run a homeschool and I worked in a public school, I had quite a few parents contact me recently about their concerns about this whole digital thing that's happening. And, uh, you know, I, I'm trying to be a, a considerate, but I really think like, you can homeschool as a parent without a device and do all right. You mm -hmm. know what I mean? Assuming the child is in a safe home learning environment. And so, you know, a lot of parents are like, well, it's so exciting. You know, they're going to learn so much. And it's, it's, well, are you sure what they're learning? I mean, uh, we did a show years ago when Jonathan was still on the show about John Taylor Gatto and the mm -hmm. history of American education. And, don't think for a second that all what you're sharing about Tiffany is all their ideas of what they want to uh, put into children is not going to be embedded in that digital device. The mm -hmm. thing is, is I feel parents don't really pay attention all mm -hmm. the time. What, what the kids are actually doing online, mm -hmm. you know, and um I don't know. I'm not very optimistic about it. I do think the education system needs to change. I don't think that going to hundred percent digital is the answer, but maybe, um, you know, people and communities will change that. They will open alternatives because children need social interaction. They really do, you know, and doing it just from some of the things I've heard about doing a class on Skype and zoom and, you know, they show all the kids and the, all the frames and the teacher and, you know, they're not paying attention to what the teacher's saying. No. <laughs> you know I mean? If they sure. even have a good Wi-Fi connection to even get the internet, you know what I mean? 
Well, just make sure you don't leave your guns lying around. I think there was some article that came out some months ago about some kid who was doing homeschooling and they left something in the background and the teacher saw it and she called police. Oh, my God. <laughs> well, yeah, that doesn't even go into the whole big brother aspect of yeah. having, you know what I mean? Like what CPS child protective services doesn't need to come to your house anymore. They can just watch you right through your screen, you know? Yeah. Well, that's probably a topic for a whole nother show, but (laughs) I do have uh, some good news. I think (laughs) Um, this one is called reading printed books to children, more beneficial to child's development than eBooks. And this was from Eureka alert back in March of 2019, but uh, SOT has actually carried a lot of articles about the importance of paper books, even for adults. And, um, you know, we shouldn't even have to go into why this is important, but the article says, we found that when parents and children read print books, they talked more frequently and the quality of their interactions were better. Yeah, it's interesting. It kind of makes you realize that it's not just the words on a page that matter. It's like there is definitely something inherent to, I don't know, like inherent to the devices that is, they're different. You know, reading a book off an e-reader. I think it is, part of that is distraction. And I think maybe it's the fact that it's this, this, this tool that you use for multiple things. And that it is kind of inherently a distracting device, like, you know, trying to, to, to accomplish a task on a digital um, screen might be more difficult than doing it in reality, just because it is something that's it's born to be distracting, like, you know, have notifications coming up, you're um, switching between programs, between tasks, that sort of thing. It's so easy to be um, to procrastinate, to, uh, get distracted by something. So maybe by reading on one of these devices, it's just kind of, that's like your mind is in that mode just because you're looking at that screen. I mean, that's completely Mm -hmm. a theory. Like, I don't know if that's actually true, but because I was just trying to think about why is it that you're reading the same words? It's just on a different medium. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. But there's also the blue light aspect yeah yeah, if you think about most parents if they're reading with their children they're doing it before bedtime Mm -hmm. so you're trying to get the child to calm down to go to sleep and you have just blue light just what we know about blue light and you know what i mean messing up the circadian rhythms Mm -hmm. and then they also talked about how um the nonverbal interactions, including warmth, closeness, and enthusiasm during reading time creates positive associations with reading that will likely stick with children as they get older. And again, having worked with kids, that is the most important aspect of reading paper books or, you know, not digital books to children when they're very young, especially like two, three, four, five years old, Mm -hmm. because you create lifelong learners. You create children that are interested in learning, that are fascinated, that see books and they're excited about it. You know what I mean? So it's a very critical part of development in 
learning how to read as a kid is, is just following along, seeing the words, the intonation of the reader to the child. I mean, there's so much going on at so many levels that you, you can't do digitally. You just can't. Yeah, just as an adult, I, I associate tablets with games and like YouTube and internet-y kind of stuff. Mm. But books are something entirely different. Mm-hmm. books are for learning for exploring for using your imagination when i look at a tablet i don't think about any of those things you can use a tablet for many different things but books are books mm-hmm. as you said Doug, basically <laughs> yeah but you know at the same time i do read on e-readers sometimes i still prefer hard copy books but um you know if something is relatively difficult to get or, or something, then I might just get a PDF or an ebook file and read on a digital device. And I don't think that, I don't notice a big difference, but you know, I can see how maybe kids would, you know, or they wouldn't necessarily notice a difference, but you know, the parents would notice a difference. Yeah. I, I don't like uh, Kindles or ebooks or those kind of things. I mean, you can use like that highlight function, but there's nothing like underlying stuff and making notes in the margins. I mean, I there's Kindles. You can do all that stuff in there too, but I don't know. I just don't like digital books. I don't I mean, like messing up my as books. A last, yeah, <laughs> as a last resort, um, I'll get a PDF. Like if I can't find a right. hard copy of the book, but yeah. I don't mind. I like a nice, well-worn book. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. Maybe. And, you know, from from all of our childhoods, we all have a favorite book that we remember as mm-hmm. children. At least I do, you know, and uh, something that that there's more than just the story. I remember for me as a kid, it was Where the Wild Things Are by Cendric. Mm-hmm. But, you know, all the different emotions associated with recalling that story, like, you know, you were with your grandmother, you were with your friend or whoever it is you know what I mean whereas uh I'm not a fan of the ebooks either I I find it very distracting and hard I I I haven't honestly spent probably enough time trying to learn how to work the kindle but (laughs) 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 I'm with Tiffany I like to highlight and underline and like have Mm -hmm. as a reference point instead of going well I want to find what I was reading is that at 28 percent what what page is that (laughs) like I don't understand and yeah, um, you close your reader and you lose your spot and you have But again, having worked with children of the reading age, I will say, and I used to tell parents this all the time, go to the library, check out as many books as you can, just let them play with them, let them flip through them, but also teach them a sense of responsibility because they're borrowing them from the library. So they need to return them, you know, and um, just exposing them to all the different things. I mean, kids will memorize things like you wouldn't believe. And I, I do think that is imperative to learning. And I think, again, is, is we try and phase that out. Cause I know in some States uh, the library is not open right now. Right. Mm-hmm. So you can't check out books from the library. So, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, I'm concerned about that, but I'm also very old school. So <laughs> personally, I almost wish we could go back to rotary telephones, but I know that's not going <laughs> to oh, happen. Boy. Oh boy. <laughs> 
So yeah, the good and the bad. And then we do have one last kind of positive little story in our children's health topic of today. Um, Young children with pet dogs have seen fewer social interaction problems than other kids. And um, basically, you know, again, another study about uh, the importance of emotional and social development in children and um, how dogs can help with that. You know, when I first saw the headline of this story, I thought it was going to be another story about how having dogs as children help build your immune system, you know, because mm. we, we've talked about that. I know in the show on the past about the importance of, you know, dogs and farm animals creating strong immune systems. But this is um, for emotional development, which I think I'm a dog person. So I think it's, it makes sense. Uh, one of the sub headlines was be best friends with benefits. Researchers say that kids with a pet dog were 23% less likely to have problems with their emotions or social interactions with other than children who had no dog at home. Mm. Um, kids from dog owning household were also 30% less likely to act in an antisocial behavior and 40% less likely to have trouble hanging out with other kids. What do you guys think? I buy it. I think it's true. Yeah, it makes sense to me. I mean, certainly. I think Go ahead, Tiff. I think that pets are one of the first ways that people learn how to love mm. other beings. I mean, mm -hmm. you love your family members and your parents as a kid, but you got a nice little pet at home, and I'm upset that they didn't include cats in this. <laughs> <laughs> Not just dogs, people, okay? Okay. <laughs> or gerbils or hamsters or, yeah. you know, parakeets. Well, I think too, it's also important. It teaches, especially if the child is involved with all the different parts of owning a pet, it mm -hmm. teaches them responsibility. Mm -hmm. Like, oh, you can't just not feed your, your dog water or food because it will die. You know what I mean? They learn pretty quickly, like about, the importance of not like, neglecting animals. Yeah, you, you learn know? how to become sensitive to others' needs. Mm -hmm. Learn how to read people or not just people, but pets too, obviously. But you know, when your dog is upset or your dog needs to go pee or your dog is happy or your dog is sad, you learn about emotions, which is, you know, kind of what the article's saying. Yeah, exactly. And so it, it, it's, it's interesting to um, how much more popular now rescue animals are becoming, uh, you know, instead of people going out and buying new dogs, it seems like a lot of people are rescuing animals now. Um, and that shows that, you know, people are looking for companionship and, and it is shown that uh, when you pet a dog or a cat, uh, it releases, what is it? Dopamine? Oxytocin? Oxytocin yeah. 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 So um, in these uncertain times, you know, an animal can, can provide some necessary relief to our overstimulated energetic system, emotional system. And um, 
you know, I th- I do think it's beneficial for kids, any kind of animal, not just dogs. Too. <laughs> <laughs> and so unless you folks have anything else to share, that was just some of the articles. There's not, I, I went back through the archives today to see if we had anything else in children's health. And there's not a lot coming out. Um, but this was some more kind of uh, middle of the road stuff that we could share. Uh, obviously there's a lot more darker stuff, but we're going to stay away from that stuff today. <laughs> for now. Yeah. <laughs> for now, <laughs> for now, but uh, for any of our parents in the, in the audience, you know, these are all things that uh, you can add to your toolkit and raising children. And, and for those aunts and uncles or friends to be a positive influence on children these days, because uh, it's a precarious time to be growing up. I cannot imagine what it's like to be a kid right now and Mm -hmm. see, we won't even go into all the masking of children because that's just too deep for the show, but all the fear and the uh, hand sanitizer and the social distancing and the isolation and just so much for children. Just get a paper book and borrow a friend's dog and sit down and read in the park and, (laughs) and be a, be a, a motivator for positive, positive behaviors. So I thank you all for joining us. Please like, and subscribe you can always add if you're interested in a topic in our chats or comment section, if you'd like us to discuss something. And thanks, Doug, Tiff, and Damien for joining me today. Yay. We'll see you all again soon. Bye, everybody. Bye. Bye. Bye.